<clears throat> Amen. I'm going to move this, I guess, over here. All right. Okay. All right. <clears throat> What's that, sweetheart? What? Yeah, it's, it's working. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and open up in prayer. So everybody's staying warm out there, right? Uh, it's kind of hard, but... <laughs> and, um, you know, I got to thinking the other day just about... I'm, 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 I'm really glad that Eddie brought up William Seymour and the Azusa Street Revival. I don't know if you know much about that. But basically, that was that was a huge thing that happened 1904 to 1910, if I remember. And then maybe 1906 to 1910, something like that, about three or four years. And, you know, so God saved Nineveh because one person preached. Yep. God can save a city by many or by few. It doesn't take a huge church to save a city. It just takes one person who lives right and who gives God's message. So we're a small church. Let's live right. And give God's message. So, so William Seymour, this thing, I mean, the least likely person you would ever suspect would be initiating a revival is the one that God used. He was, I think his parents were slaves. I don't think he was a slave, but his parents were. He only had one eye. And um, his, he wasn't even allowed to attend Bible school. He had to sit in the hallway because of the, the laws back then. And so he sat in the hallway. And then he went, and that was in Missouri, if I remember right, and then he went out to California to start a mission, just a little mission, just a little outpost of Christianity. And it ended up bringing the world to that mission. Amen. Really amazing story. That, that's, that's the rebirth of Pentecostalism and the charismatic movements, because the first birth was 2,000 years ago when, when Jesus started it, but anyway. Okay, so we'll go ahead and... Pray and then uh, jump right into it. You know, something else, I, got, I just got to mention this. Something I just got to thinking about the other day, about the Hollywood scandals. They're so awful, and it's been so infested in that whole industry, and it just got me to thinking, you know, it's interesting that this happens, this, this has happened in the one industry that so roundly rejects anything Christian. And I just thought, you know what? What else do you expect? You know, if you kick out everything that's of God, anything that's of righteousness, and and you promote and let sin just flourish as, as far and wide as it can go, what do you really expect is going to happen? Amen. We need Jesus in Hollywood, in every industry, in every family. Anyway, so we'll go ahead and, uh, we'll go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, we give you praise, we give you glory, we give you thanks, we give you our worship. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for giving us your son, Christ Jesus. We pray that you would lead us in your way. We pray that you would open our eyes to see and open our ears to hear and that you would be glorified in changing us. Your word says to be renewed through your mind, that you could be transformed in your life. And the renewing of your mind happens through scriptures. So, Heavenly Father, help us to hear, to have ears to hear, and to apply what we hear. Because we want to be good and faithful servants of yours. And we want to be excited to go home 
and see you face to face at the right time. And while we're still here, Lord, we want to be about your business. So bless this time. Speak to our hearts. Change us however you need to. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to be talking a little bit about authentic community. So that's one of the things that we're committed to here is authentic community, right? So we're going to talk about that. So a couple weeks ago we talked about, um, it's probably been about a month, about the, the parable of the soils and the seed, right? The different soils. And we talked about how there's four different types, and only one of them really gets a reward. Only one of them really makes it to heaven. And the, and, and, and the four types that, and the four types that are out there, right? We've got seed that falls that falls on on by the wayside, and Satan comes and takes that away immediately, right? And then the other one, seed that falls on rocky soil, and that's where it sprouts up right away. It's so excited about you know God's word, but then it doesn't last because it doesn't expect trials and tribulations to come at him. And so those, those ones fall away. Then also the seed among thorns, and about how the thorns grow up and choke it out. And so the cares of the, the things you're worried about, or things that you're earnestly seeking after, whatever, that are not God's. But there may be good things, it may be fine. But when you, when you focus your attention on them, then the, it, it, that's a thorn. And it'll choke out the gospel. And so, and, so those, and so those people bring no fruit to maturity. And then also about the good soil. About how the good soil expects tribulation, it expects persecution. Um, but it persists, it endures, and it holds on to the message until it bears fruit. We talked about that a little bit. You all remember that, right? Yeah. Okay, great. So um, we're going to continue that a little bit because there's some more truths. So we, we gleaned a lot from that, but you know what? There's more truth in the Scripture. And it's interesting. So in each one of the Gospels, immediately each one of the synoptics, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, right? Immediately after that, Jesus follows up with basically the same set of instructions. You know, sometimes the different writers, they trail off to do to talk about something different. But in all three cases, they land on the same, the same set of truths again. And so we're going to talk about those set of truths, which is basically a really, really important key to living a successful Christian life. And so it's not missing in any three of them, which is just kind of a little, little key. So in essence, I'm going to call this the spiritual law of you ready for this? Spiritual law of use it or lose it. So everybody say use it or lose it. So when I was a kid, we played that game. It was, it was more like, hey, if you don't use that toy, then that's fine because I'm taking it. And I'm going to go use it and I'm going to play with that toy. It was, that game was really akin to another game, similar title, move it or lose it. But that one came with a little bit more of a threat of physical violence if you didn't give up your car seat. You know, for the bigger kid or whatever. <laughs> so the two games were closely related. But, um, but anyway, so the spiritual law of use it or lose it. It really is a spiritual law. And we didn't know how true it was when we were saying it as a kid. But it is so true. So I'm going to, and, and Eddie read one of these this morning. But I'm gonna just going to just fly right over a couple of them. Feel free to write them down. By the way, we, 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 I've thought about this. And I don't know, I'm open to people you know, changing my mind. But I guess I just think that there's value in people seeing you know, different things we talk about in their own scripture, in their own word. And whether you do that online or whether you do that through a paper copy is okay. Um, but instead of us putting it up here, which I, can be really handy, I get it. But instead of that, if, if you actually see it in your own, you know, way, in your own text, in your own Bible, then when you go back and look for something, it'll be there. You'll remember where it is on the page. So there's value to, like, being able to hunt stuff out and find it and also... You know, so, so, so far we're kind of choosing, I'm kind of choosing to not put scriptures up there so people can hunt it down in their own, in their own Bible. Because I think there's value to learning how to navigate scriptures and stuff. Okay. Amen. 
So anyway, Matthew 13, verse 12. Jesus is following up the parable of the seed and the sowers, right? He says, For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. <clears throat> okay, everybody say abundance, please. Abundance. abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. So that's the Matthew version. The Mark version. <clears throat> then he said to them, Jesus said to them, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Say, with the same measure. With the same measure. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And then in Luke, the one that Eddie read for us, No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on the lampstand, that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore, take heed how you hear. Please say, how you hear. How you hear. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he seems to have or thinks he has, will be taken from him. Doesn't that sound so Republican? I mean, who, whoever's got money, you're going to keep it. Hey, we're going to come and give you more. And whoever doesn't have money, we're going to come and get you and take it away from you, right? It, it sounds so Republican. How, what's the deal? How could this be that it's in the Word of God? Why, what about give to everybody equal measure, right? So we're going to focus on the Luke one, right? Take heed how you hear, or be mindful of how you hear. Because how you hear will determine whether you get more or whether you don't, right? And so how you hear is basically whether you apply what you hear or whether you don't apply what you hear. See, because there's, there's, there's only two ways to hear. Either you apply what you hear or you don't apply what you hear. There's no such thing as a stagnant Christian. There just really isn't. Jesus doesn't give a third option here. He says either you're growing and you're learning or you're losing, right? There's no such thing as just maintaining Christian weight, right? Or, or maybe in terms of stock market, there's no such, there's a steep gain of, uh, slope of gain and there's also a steep slope of loss, but there's nothing in the middle. No stock that just, that just hangs on, right? And so it depends on what stock you choose, right? Are we going to choose to apply or choose to not apply the truths that we hear? If we do, then additional light and growth will happen. But if we don't, then we'll, we'll lose the light that we already have and, and progressive darkness will set in, right? And um, so anyway, we want to draw closer to Jesus. We want more light, right? We want to be able to walk better every day, more like Christ. So people talk about the, the Christian honeymoon. I've heard that so many times. And I just think it's a, it's, it's a load of baloney, you know. But, but this is the idea. There's a time when you first come to Jesus and he's fresh and new to you, right? And uh, he answers your prayers and you know that he loves you and something's, and everything's just going right in the world. But then as, as, as a lot of times Christians go through life, then it seems like that changes and, more, and, and the relationship isn't quite what it used to be. And specifically, really what's happened is not that something changed, like the time frame of the honeymoon's over, not that, but someone has changed. Yeah. And that someone isn't, isn't the Lord, but it's us. We can change over time. We can get our focus in different places, right? But according to this scripture, it says we are able to keep ever increasing, to keep on that upward slope, to be ever growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, to become more and more like Jesus, right? To be more in love with him, to be more patient and kind with others, to be less critical and judgmental, to be more fullness of life and overflowing spiritual life every day. And I got to thinking about this, you know, <clears throat> Jesus was fun to be around. I just, I, I, that just was really impressed on me the last couple of days. That people love to be around Jesus, right? Crowds followed him. Yeah. Nobody paid him. 
They go hungry for three days for the chance to follow him even. They followed him everywhere. And parties? It's not that there were cool parties and they said, hey, let's invite Jesus. It was the other way around. It was that Jesus is coming to town. Let's throw a party. He is the party, right? He's the reason for the party. People ran to hear what he taught, right? Like a professional ball game that keeps moving around. That's what it looked like. His, whenever he went somewhere, crowds would follow. Cities would get full and then empty out again. And if he had a podcast today, it would be the most listened to podcast on the planet. He was not boring. And he doesn't want you or me to be boring either. He had incredible inner joy because he knew his, his identity. He was always at peace with the Father. He lived in his ultimate purpose every single day, every single moment. And he has that for you and for me. People love to be around. They clamored to be near him, followed him everywhere. And I just think the more closely we follow Jesus, the more of that life is going to be manifest in us and through us. I mean, wouldn't that be great, like every minute, to be assured where you stand with God in peace and in love, and to have inner joy that just radiates outward so that other people just want to be around you. They don't even know why, but they want to hear what you have to say. You don't have to twist their arm to listen to, you, to, listen to what you have. They come running to hear what you have to say about Jesus. So, but I think, I think how often sometimes Christians get there is because of a lack of authentic community. So we get religious because of a lack of authentic community. So what I mean by that is sometimes like in Christian circles, we're told this is what a good Christian looks like or acts like, but we're not taught and helped how to become a good Christian, how to really be, how, the how-to part. We're told to, but not taught how to do it. Right? So let me explain. As part of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Jesus commanded the disciples to teach others how to obey everything I've commanded you. Right? And so I think in the modern day, this just hasn't been happening consistently. Why? Okay, I think a key here is also because of 2 Timothy 4. So you can jot this down. 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 4, and I'll read it. Paul told Timothy, he said, Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. That doesn't, all, that doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun, does it? Okay. Conven- convince, re- rebuke. Who likes to get rebuked, right? Nobody likes that. Exhort with all long-suffering teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and will turn away their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. A fable is easier to listen to than a rebuke or a, a truth that exhorts you to change. And so... <clears throat> Teaching sound doctrine includes some of those things that are difficult. They can be uncomfortable for the hearer, just like surgery. Hey, that's not very comfortable, but it generally leads to good results, right? Or sound teaching, um, it, it can be uncomfortable for the teacher, too. I mean, I don't like to give out messages that cuts people, cut people to the hearts. I don't like it. It's not comfortable. But you know what? God requires that I do that when he, when he leads. Um, why? Uh, to maintain spiritual health of of us and all of us as people, right? But also notice there in that Timothy, it says, it says, with all long suffering and teaching. Why? Because not everybody gets everything right away. I don't. It takes time for for truths to sink in. And so we have to teach things over and that's fine. It's good reinforcement too. And so some reasons are are, are how, how we can, how authentic community happens in Christianity is Bible teachers assume that the how-to is going to be magically downloaded to everybody. Okay, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes Bible teachers don't know the how-to themselves, so they really can't teach other people the how-to. 
And sometimes the Christians, sometimes the, the Christians abandon healthy teachings because it's so much easier to go to the uh, what do you call it? the marshmallow fluff messages, right? The teachings that just don't don't nourish, right? So you know, there's probably some enough fault to go around all of us, right? But anyway, so people are taught how to look and act spiritual without really being spiritual, right? And so to act as if they've been changed without having been being changed. So in short, it ends up being the Christians wear Christian masks. In some churches, it's kind of like a Mardi Gras party. You know, everybody's got their mask on. And oh, how are you? I'm great. Oh, are you great? Okay, great. We'll see you next Sunday. Right? Nobody really gets to know each other where the rubber meets the road. And it's a it's a part of culture because healthy teaching isn't fostering authentic community there. But authentic community, it'll always happen with healthy teaching, right? Because healthy teaching causes growth. Healthy teaching says, you know, none of us are perfected yet. Not even the Apostle Paul was, he said, in Philippians 3.12. He said, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold on me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. So Paul was in progress. So the rest of us can admit we're in progress too. In fact, Paul says that's maturity, is to realize you're in, prog- in, in progress. Um, so healthy teaching allows people to be in progress, right? People hurt. Babies are born fully human, but, but not fully grown. It takes time to grow. Same thing spiritually. We're, you know, we're born again to be fully children of God, but it doesn't mean we know how to act and we know how to treat others the right way from, you know, from, from birth. So what happens a lot of times at the Mardi Gras type places is they say, fake it till you make it. <clears throat> I've heard Bible. I've, I've heard pastors, like young young pastors in the faith, be told that specific thing. Look, guy, we know you're not there yet. You need to fake it till you make it. Wear your mask until you're perfect. But you know what? Even Paul wasn't perfect, complete in every way. And so, if that was what Paul lived by, then Paul would have wear, wear, worn a mask his entire life. And that, and so, then therefore, that person stuck, never able to take their mask off. But here, we're committed to authentic community, right? which means we're committed to being real when in relationship with each other, right? Faults and all, without masks and without judgment. Why? Because God's grace has helped the leaders to overcome major things in our lives. And so because of that, the leaders are able to help others, to show others the way to do the same thing, right? And then we're also obviously committed to do our best to, to, to obey and teach what Jesus said to, said to teach. So, so we don't say, fake it till you make it. We say, don't fake it, but let me help you to make it. That's what we say. That's authentic community. And by the way, that doesn't mean foolish community. I'm not saying that either. I'm not saying go blabbing to everybody about your deepest, darkest issues. I'm not saying that. Use wisdom, be discerning, right? Um, and, if there's, and if there's something that's in your life that God's convicting you of and that you need to overcome, then it is so incredibly important that you overcome it. It is not optional. It's mandatory. It's, and God might be convicting you. There was a time when God convicted me that heaven or hell rests on me to, to overcome this thing in my life. And God may be convicting you of that. And if he is, then he will help you. And if you can't figure it out on your own, find somebody who's a seasoned saint, who, maybe so, somebody who definitely you can trust, somebody who's probably been there before. That would be really great to help you to overcome. But God wants you to overcome. He's in your corner. He's rooting for it. He's even arranging the, arranging the victory party, right? In the churches of Revelation, God had already planned. He'd already told them what's going to happen at the victory party when they overcame. 
right? And it's the same thing with you and it's the same thing with me. He's arranging the victory party. There is hope. There's freedom from any struggle. That freedom is waiting. It doesn't matter how long you've struggled either. There is hope. So to get there, don't fake it, but we'll help you to make it. So that's exactly what Jesus told his disciples in Luke 12. So we're going to take a look at Luke 12. Don't fake it, but let me help you to make it. Okay, so verses 1 through 3. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the the ear and inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. So the Pharisees, you know, their version of religion was fake it, but you'll never make it, but fake it anyway, right? So they just put rules on everybody, knowing that nobody could obey their rules, and they couldn't even obey them themselves. And so that kind of leaven, that kind of teaching, you know, will end in hypocrisy because it makes everybody wear a mask and keep their own issues, you know, hidden for the sake of appearing good before the people, before everybody else, right? So hypocrisy happens when others, or when we worry or, or are afraid of what others think about us or about what others might do to us, right? But Jesus says everything's going to be brought into light. So everybody say everything. 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 That means every word, everything, you know, every evil... Every evil thing whispered, even in inner rooms, it's going to be, hey, how about, you know, hidden things that are, that are done? It's all going to be displayed on, you know, the big screen in heaven in 3D and full color. It'll all be seen. Everything will come into the light. Everything has to come into the light. And then there will be a lot of shame in that day. And this is Jesus saying, faking it's not the answer. Faking it won't do you any good in that day. Instead, be changed on the inside. So, so we could stop the wrong deeds and then do what's, do what's right. That's the answer. Don't fake it is what Jesus is pleading here. And then he says, but let me help you to make it. He says, everything's going to be coming out into the open. So faking it is not the answer. But then in verses 4 through 7, he says, I'm going to tell you how to do it, right? This is the how. And I say to you, my friends, everybody say my friends. My friend. Because Jesus is on your side. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they could do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he is killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Now I want to correct something. That rendition isn't the greatest. It's not that, you know, him, which is God, by the way, or the the father or the son, one or the other. It's not that he does the killing. That's not what it's implying. What what, what the the word is, is a, a... Eris infinitive with meta. And so basically, what's that's, I know that's long. And, but anyway, the point is, it's saying that, that after a person is killed or dead, then, then this is the one who does the choosing on whether you go to heaven or, or whether you get thrown in hell. That's, that's what this is getting at. He doesn't do the killing, but he does the, makes the decision after death happens. Okay. And then he says, you fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, for you are of more value than many sparrows. This can get a little confusing because we've got this fear, no, this don't fear, fear, don't fear sandwich. You know, he says, don't fear, fear, don't fear. Well, which one is it? I mean, come on, how are we supposed to? <clears throat> so this is the deal. 
Don't fear people, but fear God. Amen. Right? So, so, so the key that Jesus is giving is that you choose who you're going to fear and choose wisely. So the word fear is a common word for fear in the New Testament, right? Phobio. And um, basically it's, it's, it's not this reverential respect. That doesn't even get close to it. It's still too weak. The actual definition is to be terrified or afraid, to even run away in fright and terror. So, so the flavor I'm getting at here is it's, it's an emotional um, fear that causes you to bend your actions. It causes you to, to change what you're going to do, to bend your actions. Because nobody's completely free to act just however you want. Some people say, oh, I'm complete." No, you're not. Because if you, <clears throat> this is the deal. When you go out into public, people change how they act because we're in public, right? You take your finger out of your nose, right? Okay. <laughs> you change your, you bend your actions because you're in public and you worry about what other people think, right? When, when, you, when you're going down the highway and you, see, and you see a police on the side of the road, what do you do? Your heart jumps and, you're, and you look at your speedometer. Why? Because there's, you have a fear of the police in there and it causes you to bend your actions. If he wasn't there, you wouldn't have that heart palpitation and check your speedometer, right? Even computer hackers in basements, they bend their actions so they don't get caught either by the cyber police. Everybody bends their actions due to somebody. The only question is, who will you, who will you fear? And Jesus is saying, don't fear people, you know, anybody on you. Don't fear that. Fear God. So, <clears throat> sure, people, you're saying, people will make fun of you, right? They may hate you. They may, they may hurt you. They may even kill you. But you know what? That's not what you should fear because that's the most that they could do to you. But there is something so much worse out there that could happen after death. And that something is a place called hell that's filled with fire and terror and screaming and pain, and it never, ever, ever ends. So Jesus says, don't fear people, because all they can do is kill you. Fear the one who can throw you into that place. That's who you should fear. So don't bend our actions to the people around us, you know, to be uh, fearful of what other people think or what other people say about us or what they would even do to us, right? Don't let that bend our actions to wear a mask, right? But instead, bend our actions to please the one who has executive power and authority to throw into, into the place of hell. Fear him. So, so that scripture, what that's saying is, don't fear men. They can't do much to you. Fear God. He's the real decision maker. So don't fear men. Okay, that's, that's the sandwich. <clears throat> so who is that one, by the way? It is not Satan. I've read things out there that say, oh, fear Satan. No, do not fear Satan. He's going to get thrown into the lake of fire himself. He's only, he's only the prosecuting attorney. He doesn't get to render judgments. He's not the judge. Don't fear Satan. Most, most Bible scholars believe that it's God the Father. Very well could be. I think it's also, I think it's Jesus, to be honest with you. Why? Because when, because when Jesus spoke about the Father, he said the Father. Or he said God. When he spoke about himself, he, he used like third person terms, like the Son of Man, right? And so, and then also because so because of that, this looks like a you know one of those type things. So he's not drawing attention to himself. Um, but also in Matthew thirteen forty one, it says, "The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness." So the Son of Man has the as executive authority to go and root out those that offend and, and practice lawlessness. So, but at any rate, whether it's the Father or the Son, the, the point is don't fear people because they only have they have a measure of authority. They can't have a measure of authority over over you and me. But you know what? That that measure is so small that it that it's only up to death here on earth, and all eternity after that is based on the judgment of God. So fear God. Bend our actions to please the Lord. Amen. Right? Okay. 
And, and why it says it in verse 7? Because to God you're valuable, right? You cost so much more than two copper coins. In fact, he's got the hairs of your head all numbered individually. And because God will remember you, right? People don't care about you. But God does care about you. So bend your actions and he'll remember everything. He knows everything about you and wants to think about you forever. So bend your actions to please the one that actually cares about you. So in the previous verses, Jesus said, don't fake it. And in this passage, he's saying, my friends, let me help you to make it. By bending your actions to please God, to follow my sayings, right? Don't fake it, but let me help you to make it. So that's what we say here, right? <clears throat> and so I want to take a look at an example of Scripture. of Someone who had a major problem in life, but he didn't let religion or others stop him from getting the help he needed from Jesus, right? Someone who couldn't follow Jesus, but wanted to. Right? He had something in his life that physically hindered him from following Jesus. But he persisted until he was able to really follow Jesus. And so we're going to take a look at Mark chapter 10. And then, and then we'll close here in just a minute. <clears throat> so this is blind Bartimaeus. <clears throat> so everybody say blind Bartimaeus. Actually, it's blind Bartimaeus the beggar, because that word there, you know, begging is... Is a noun. Anyway, so <clears throat> I'll go ahead and read it, and then we'll, we'll zoom in in a couple places. Now they came to Jericho. This is Jesus and his disciples. They came to Jericho. So everybody say, they came to Jericho. They came to Jericho. And as he went out of Jericho. So they came, and then they're leaving now, right? Okay. And as they went out of Jericho with his disciples, as he went out with his disciples, and a great, oh, this is Matthew 10.46. I'm sorry, Mark 10.46. Mark 10.46 with his disciples, and a great multitude, blind beggar Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and to say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So we're going to pause there for a second. So, <clears throat> um, let's see. The, this guy, okay, he, he, Bartimaeus, he was so unimportant to people back then that his parents really just never even gave him a name. Oh, isn't it, but is his name Bartimaeus? Yeah, because his dad's name is Timaeus and Bar means son of. He's Bartimaeus because he's the son of Timaeus. He really didn't, doesn't even have his own name, right? And so here he is, a nobody, sitting by the road. He's, he's blind and he's a beggar. Probably not blind from birth, but possible. And so he's sitting there on the road begging and he hears the people of God, or the disciples of Jesus, go into the city of Jericho. And then he, so he's heard a little bit about Jesus now, right? And then they come out, and they might be nearing him, or they might have passed him, one or the other. But when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And so all those disciples around him, what do you think that they said? Do you think that they said, yeah, he, Jesus, will you come help this guy? No. They told him to shut up. <laughs> Verse 48. Then many warned him, or they rebuked him sharply, or scolded him to be quiet. They said, look, pal, nothing's going to change for you. Jesus doesn't have anything for you. Who are you to really be asking for him anyway? You... You, you, you got what you got. That's what the religious people said. And then look what he did. 
he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. This wasn't like a little pipsqueak. He was crying out, probably yelling. So Jesus stood still. Everybody say, Jesus stood still. He got Jesus to stop. And Jesus commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, because he doesn't have a name really still. So they call him the blind man still. Saying to him, be of good cheer. Rise, he's calling you. So look at how the crowd turns now. What if he was out to please the crowd? They're, they're so fickle, they just did a 180 degree turn just based on one word from Jesus, right? Jesus saying, call him here. And now all the crowd's clapping for him. Yay! Before They just told him to, they just scolded him to be quiet. And now they're clapping for him just about. Be of good cheer. Rise up. He's calling for you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. Some translations say he jumped up and came to Jesus. <clears throat> so Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And a better translation of that is, What do you have in mind for me to do for you? The blind man, still no name, right? The blind man said, Raboni, that I may receive my sight. That Raboni, used twice in the scriptures, that's it. Here, and when Mary uh, saw Jesus at the tomb, this is like, my great one. Like, the one that I need. Not just Rabbi, but Raboni. The one for me. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well, or has saved you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. And so, throwing aside his garment. So this was his, these were his clothes, the clothes that he begged in. Probably his only set of clothes. And what did he do with them? Did he keep them? Did he say, oh, we've got to save this for later? No, he said, I am not going back to that. Jesus is here. He's calling for me. And he is able to answer my prayer. So I'm not going to need this anymore. He threw it aside. And then Jesus asked him, what do you have in mind for me to do for you? He says, I may receive my sight. And so Jesus says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. <clears throat> and immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. I think some of the most beautiful words here are on the road. The disciples were walking with Jesus on the road. And blind Bartimaeus was not on the road. He was by the road. He saw the disciples. He heard the joy people had around Jesus. The joy that the followers of Jesus had. But he wasn't on the road. He was physically impaired. He was by the road. Some of us might be by the road of Christianity. We're not really on the road of following Jesus, but we're close enough to hear, maybe close enough to see, that other people have great joy when they do, but something's keeping us from being, from really joining the throng and being on the road. You also notice Jesus let uh, Bartimaeus choose whatever path he wanted. Go your way, he said. And Bartimaeus did the choosing to follow Jesus. There were other times when Jesus would say that to other people and they just hightailed it, did their own thing. And Jesus didn't chase them down. That's fine if that's what they want to do. But blind Bartimaeus, he had this Raboni thing where he was like, my Lord, I'm not leaving you. I am sticking to you. 
So you may have a long time sin in your life that you haven't been able to overcome. And you know that it's actually crippling you in your walk with Jesus. And so you're by the road of joyful Christianity, not really following Jesus because the sin in your life has stopped you. But you hear the voices of joy from those who are following on the road with Jesus and you want to join the crowd, you really want to. But religion has told you, you're fine. Jesus can't help you. Everybody's like that. What you're feeling is normal, but you know that you're missing out on real fellowship with Jesus. So what this is showing us is to call out to Jesus. He has the power to help, to fix you or me. He can fix a human heart. And he will. For anybody who cries out to him in earnest, just like Bartimaeus got Jesus to stop on the road. We don't serve a dead Christ. We serve a living Christ. He's not dead. He's alive. He's able to hear the cries of anybody on any road, anywhere in the world, who cries out to him, just like Bartimaeus does. And he still has the same heart of compassion that he will stop. You can get Jesus to stop and listen to your request. But I have done that. I've done that. Have you gotten your answer? Because if you haven't gotten your answer, then you haven't cried out loud enough. You need to step up your game if you haven't got an answer from him yet. Because he doesn't respect people. It's not that he says, oh, I'll answer this person's prayer, but not that person. Anybody who cries out to him loud enough and in earnestness enough, he'll stop for. Even if you never come back to him, he'll stop because he loves you and he cares for you. And if you need what he has to give, then he will. And you know what? It's not like he ever worries and says, oh, I may not have enough power to heal blind Bartimaeus. No, 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 no. He has enough power for every sing, any single, any problem, any and every problem in any one of our lives. He can fix everything. And he will when we get his attention because he loves you. And then you can get on, on the road. Everybody say, on the road. Walking with Jesus and his disciples in joyful unity. And then you'll have great joy in going to the house of God. There's a neat little scripture I'll mention with that. Isaiah 56. Verse 7 and 6, okay. And the sons of the foreigner who joined themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings, their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And so authentic community says, don't fake it till you make it. Don't, don't fake it. But let me help you to make it. And that's what, that's what we're here to do also. So if there's anything that we can do to help, it, help you, find somebody you can trust. Somebody who's you know, wise enough to be able to help you. And uh, I'm sure that they will. And, and if there's anybody that doesn't know Jesus, then the same principle really is, is there. Run to Jesus, Right? And that's not done in a single prayer. That's, that's done through earnestness. It can be done in a single prayer, but it's done through earnestness and coming to Christ Jesus and admitting that we're sinners and that we need him and his salvation. So we're going to go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We give you glory. We give you praise. We give you thanks. Thank you that... Um, for all of us, Jesus passes by close enough for us to hear the joy of his followers. 
and that that's enough to draw us from being next to the road or by the road to being on the road. And thank you that you love each one of us so much that you will listen. When we cry out in earnestness enough to you, you will stop and you will bring us near to yourself and ask what it is that you want from us. There's just something about articulating our need before you that you ask us to do. And then when we do, then you have enough power to do it. So Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would take your word, that you would set us free from anything that's holding us back. We ask that you would show us your way. We ask that you would open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, and remove anything that's been hindering or crippling us in our walk with you. And so then that way we can get on the road of joy and fellowship with you and with those following you. We, for the, for the rest of this day, we just want to live for you. We want to seek your face. We want to know you better. So help us, O oh Father. Be with us, please. Because we need you. You are Raboni, yes. Lord Jesus. We ask that you would bless each one here. We ask that you would bless us the rest of this day. Keep us safe as we go from this place. We love you and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.